You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. I'm Stuart Wright and this is the Britflix.com podcast. On this podcast, rather than critique or score films out of 5 or 10 or tell you what we love or what we hate, I sit down with the filmmaker and get them to give us an insight into the process of making their movie, what they discovered, what they learned, all those kind of things. Or I get to sit down with a horror film fan and get them to tell me five great British horror films that they think we should all take interest in. Either way, this podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So, if you enjoy it, please make sure to subscribe in iTunes. And if you've got that bit more time, write me a review too. It all helps. Thank you. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got a repeat guest. Welcome to Nev Pierce. Hello, Nev. Hello. And how the devil are you? I'm very well, thank you. Just enjoying your Bombay mix. Yeah, don't enjoy it too much, the microphone hates it. Uh, I apologise in advance. And today you're in, you're in the, what people can't see is you're in my studio. It's very intimate. It is, isn't it? I got the listening corner. Yeah. <laughs> it's very lovely, some good records. There is some good records, but it's, but it's not sophisticated as I'd like, but it'll work. We have a blanket over a picture just to make sure that sound doesn't deflect everywhere. I'm now curious what the picture is. Is it you as a young man? It's Days Confused. Um, it's a Cossack print of Days Confused that was for a special charity. Outstanding. Yeah, I like Cossack. Who do, you know, I don't know if you know Cossack. Frank Cossack? He did... Um... That was clever of me. I shook my head on a, on a podcast. But I carried on, and the way <laughs> I sounded meant that you said no. Um, and he, he did a lot of um, rock and roll posters. Mm -hmm. There was kind of th uh, foot and a half by... 12-inch pictures with a lot of cartoony stuff. He sort of made his name doing people like Super Suckers and Muddling and stuff like that. But then he started doing his own stuff. I'm a big fan. But we've not come to talk about screen printing of rock and roll posters. We've come to talk about your short films, Nev. Now, when we when we spoke last time, we were we were celebrating your screening of Brick at um, at Frightfest, and um, we're now we're now looking at a, a four short films of which. You're about to release three of them. 
Yeah, we're releasing the first three, which is Bricks, Ghosted, and Locking on yeah. February 5th. And how are you releasing them? Because uh, I think filmmakers out there would be wondering, how do you release a short film? Well, they're going to go onto Vimeo, and they're also, um, at some stage, whether it's around that date or not, I'm not sure yet, they're going to go on a YouTube channel that's launching called Tall Tales. Okay. Um, so they've asked for the films. Um, so you'll be able to watch them in two different places. And then Promise, which is the fourth film, which is still doing festival rounds, that'll come out later in, uh, later in 2018. So tell us what the three are then. That you'd, so the three that we've got going are, what's the stories? Uh, Bricks is an Edgar Allan Poe, Allan Poe adaptation starring uh, Blake Ritson and Jason Fleming. Mm -hmm. And it's about a uh, well-off fella who invites a rough builder in to renovate his wine cellar and then they have a bit of a falling out. Do they ever? Yeah. <laughs> um, Ghosted is um, more of a, a romance, romantic comedy. Alice Lowe plays someone who's just about a widow who started dating again. Mm. But her, all of her dates are ruined by the uh, ghost of her cheating dead husband. It's Christian Arnold. Yeah, it's a nice. There's a, there's a there's a there's a sort. It's like a a, a rom com ghost story, I guess, yeah. isn't it? And it was very blatantly inspired by, well, visually at least by Woody Allen, like the Manhattan kind of. Oh, okay, uh, that's interesting. Kind of well, we'll get on to that later. Um, and Locking, which is about a. Uh, Landlord and his pregnant daughter get chapped in a pub mm. by uh, a mysterious stranger who uh, yeah. threatens to reveal stuff from their past which they uh, don't want to confront. Mm. So what, what what made you think see that see the logic or was it was it of, of releasing short films? Who do you think the audience is on that from? Well, we'll find out. Um, I think I mean the reason for doing the shorts is I mean I really enjoy doing the shorts yeah. and I've learned a lot from doing them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's always you know it's a stepping stone to features. Um, it's the way I'm thinking about it. Mm. I think I was very naive when I started out. I was like, yeah, I can direct a feature straight away. That's fine. And I had conversations to that effect, and mm. was, was was politely informed that I might need to you know get some experience first. Um, and now it's like you know the people who need to see them in terms of industry people have probably already seen them. Mm -hmm. But um, you make stuff because you want stuff to be seen. Yeah. You know? So I, I guess like we should see it. we should remind people who Manor was the first one. Your your background before uh, sort of running parallel and maybe be, uh, you might say before filmmaking was as a film critic. Yeah. So you kind of know people in film, don't you? In in the in the sense of pointing fingers at other people's films, going, "That's great." That's not so great. Yeah, that's been a slightly weird process. <laughs> not that anyone's really. I mean, no one's. I mean, there's been a few reviews of the films, but. Fortunately, nothing unpleasant. Mm. But it's weird going into making stuff having been both positive and negative about films before, and it mm. definitely gives you a different appreciation of the amount of effort that goes into making a film. And it's made me wince about a few reviews where I'm like, uh, even if you didn't like the film, like the tone was a bit off, like of my reviews. Oh, what you you been scathing? Yeah, I look back on some stuff and, and go, and the internet's forever, isn't it? You're like, man, I just wish I could go back and just delete that because at some point that's going to come back. Um, I'm ve I must admit I'm very self-conscious of that. I sort of came to writing about film about the same time I was trying to make films. I'd only ever written about music before then and arts. It didn't matter so much. So I've always been conscious of, I've kind of learned about filmmaking as I'm writing about film and I avoid avoided the best I can. There were a few films that I, I couldn't help myself because yeah. they were just toilet. <laughs> and it wasn't about me, because I think the word like is the important thing here, because there's films you like mm -hmm. And there's films you don't, but the ones you don't like aren't bad films. They didn't they didn't set out to not be something you like. Um, I think that's always hard sometimes. I think the only reviews I regret are the ones where I was snide. 
on about stuff that didn't really deserve it. You know, you just use like to, a turn of sentence. Yeah, you're just trying to be clever. <laughs> you're just trying to be clever. You're like 22 or whatever. And yeah. You want to show that you, you know, mm. you've got, you've got a deadly rapier wit or whatever. And you look back and go, oh dear, that. You know, I hope I never meet that filmmaker or they've never read that review. Um, but yeah, I used to be. Um, I used to edit Total Film magazine years ago, mm. and I was editor at large for at Empire magazine for a few years. And now I'm still a contributing editor there and do bits and pieces for newspapers. But most of my time spent writing scripts. Mm. And how do you, I mean, we talked about this before we started the podcast, but how do you find separating that critical head about film and the subconscious that wants to create and your imagine and, and the imagination that taps into? I think it's really hard to, to turn it off and I think it can be paralysing. And I think, I mean, regardless of whether you're a critic or not, mm. especially because... No, no, totally, critic, yeah. It can, you have to remind yourself that you're, and they say, you know, don't compare your first draft or someone else's finished product but I think I've done that for quite a long time and it stops you from being I certainly don't feel I've done as much it's paralysing isn't it you're like oh man that's amazing and I can't believe they did that and it's like well yeah there's a reason you're not as good a director as Steven Soderbergh like I mean quite apart from talent let's put talent to one side but like the reason he's able to do a TV show like with Nick and he's shooting 10 pages in a day is he's made 20 films or whatever mm. you know so don't beat yourself up and compare yourself to that and just with the writing, just do the work. A few years ago, I mean, several years now, as a journalist, I was writing for the BBC. Mm. And I was also writing for Total Film, but under a pseudonym, because which the BBC knew, but like the, my name was associated with the BBC site. Mm -hmm. So I wrote some stuff freelance for Total Film. And after a while, I came to realise that the stuff I was writing under a pseudonym was better than the stuff I was writing under my own name. Oh, so you kind of like set yourself free, as it were? Because I just was like liberated. I didn't. I wasn't so worried about like, oh, what will people think? And of course, the reality is, people don't care. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no people, no one else is looking at you the way that you're looking at yourself. Hmm. But it was interesting um, to realise that and be like, well, I'm seem way yeah way more knowledgeable and funnier when I'm just writing under. I think I think it was Daniel Webb was my pseudonym, oh, if I remember rightly. I, I might have to look for that. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing about about. Um, Sort of, sort of writing reviews and then flipping it around and becoming the filmmaker is that you realise that a review is it's fairly toothless isn't it one review or any reviews don't make or break movies do they not in a sense no although I think if you're writing for a long lead title mm. then you can make quite a difference even I mean I don't know about now so much but certainly back when I started I remember I reviewed Dog Soldiers mm. uh Neil Marshall's first film and I don't know that it made a huge difference or not I don't know but I remember that Neil cared and other people around cared because it was the first time that uh, it was the first I think it might have been the first review and we it was his first feature and, one, we, so and we really loved it yeah and I know that I feel like newspapers pay attention to stuff more attention to stuff from a features coverage thing if you've already got if you're getting a buzz out of long lead magazine reviews oh, so I, I think that can make a difference mm. I mean ultimately when you get into like massive massive movies whether they're hated or not might not make a difference mm. I think you've seen with Justice League that is the film good or not I mean to be fair to Justice League I have not seen Justice League mm. but there's way, enough noise about it for us to understand yeah. that maybe it's not the greatest piece of cinema well, my son but it's very popular it. my son loves Batman he didn't want to see it because wow. he'd, heard, he'd heard at school that it was a bit all over the place and I thought my goodness like that's a quote from an 11 year old yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's that's media savvy and then some isn't it I was, at, I was at a presentation the other week where they were going, kids, kids your, your, your children's age are going to come into the workforce editing film like we used to handwrite mm. because they just do it on their phone. So their notion of 
slamming together images and going, here you go. It's kind of whereas in the corporate world it would have used to have been, we need to get a film production company in to do that corporate video. Yeah. They go, no, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing, Dad? What do you mean it took four days to make a short film? <laughs> but I got my phone. Let's do it. What tricks do you do on yourself then to tap into that sort of creative side when you're trying to trying to make something new? Have you got any tricks you play on yourself when you when it's not coming? Well, it depends. If I'm co-writing with somebody, it's easier because essentially you're just chatting. Mm. So I wrote several scripts with Jamie Russell, and I'm writing a couple of things with other people at the moment. And mm -hmm. what that what's good is if you have an appointment to talk to them, you mm. need to talk to them. So one way or another, you're going to get to the end of that hour, and some ideas will have come out. Yeah. Um, if I'm working by myself, it's just making sure that you did put the time in. Mm. And I don't even mean that it needs to be like an entire day. It might be an acceptance that like, you know what, it's going to be two hours, but do that two hours and then consciously think about it when you're off doing other stuff. And don't just spend the day like procrastinating. Mm. Like do the work and then step away, go do something else, go watch a film, go for a walk. Like you might as well enjoy the fact that you've got a job which allows you to do that. I say job. I mean, vocation. You know, when, when, vocation, yeah. When, when you're writing on spec, obviously, you yeah. know, you're not, you, there's that pressure of like, hey, man, it would be nice if I could uh, sell this at some point. Mm. Um, but in terms of tricking yourself, I mean, I think just to constantly remind yourself, like, it's just put the words down. It's not going to be, this isn't the finished product. It's like you're building a house, you're laying the foundations, no one's mm. going to move in that tomorrow. It's going to take some time, and that's okay. Mm. Let it take some time. I like there was a bit of advice here, though. I can't remember who it is, so it's not fair on the person, but I still think I'll, I'll repeat it just for the, for the sake of this podcast is that when you're having a bad day, that's just punishment for that Tuesday where you couldn't start writing. Mm. And I kind of go, I can live with that now. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, yeah, remember, that was something last week. I had a Tuesday where I just was full of self-loathing. I mean, even mm. more so than usual. usual. Mm. And then the Wednesday, and I, I got nothing done on a Tuesday. Mm. And on a Wednesday, was brilliant. And mm. it was the best feeling ever. And you're like, oh, this is why I do it. Mm. This is, I've got some good work done. And of course, I don't think I've managed to do anything constructive since then. But, you know. But, you, but, you, but I think that um, the mulling around in your head and the consciously letting it percolate, it's a pain. But I think it's a necessary part of the process. Yeah, and you'd be amazed by the amount of times you get good ideas when you're not essentially meant to be working. I get great ideas in church. Which really? is probably, well, probably means I should be... Is that divine intervention? Is yeah, that maybe. literally? I should be listening more to the vicar, but like I'll just sometimes at the back of your mind suddenly go, oh, well, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I think maybe you think, people think I'm very devout and scribbling down like things that are really... But it's like, no, I'm just thinking about that thriller. Um, which... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but yeah, you get ideas all the time in the most random places, and you've got to make sure you write them down and be able mm. to it. And also, sometimes consciously, if I'm on a long drive mm. and the kids are listening to a story or something, mm. uh, then I might consciously think, Well, I'm driving for two hours now, I can think about that problem. Mm. I think sometimes sitting in front of a desk, or in front of your computer, looking at the blank page becomes kind of paralyzing. Mm. You're not actually thinking about the story, you're kind of paralysed. It doesn't mean you don't need to do that, obviously you do need to sit down and get the work done. Mm. But you can allow yourself the time to think. And just don't waste your energy by being guilty. Yeah. Yeah, freeze, freeze. Yeah. Being locked at a laptop isn't necessarily going to get you the best work done. No. I think there's something about like being a writer, and it's probably in a lot of the like arts, the, this notion that you have to be tortured. Mm. I think sometimes people really lean into that, like, oh, I have to like be really miserable. Uh, I think it's about the you know, noun versus you know, the verb, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I'm a writer, woe yeah. is me. Yeah. Or I'm writing, 
Look at me go. <laughs> and like make make it, you know, if we wanted to be miserable and hate ourselves, we could have become lawyers, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'd have a nicer house. I've done accountancy. Oh, there we go. <laughs> you know what true misery is. <laughs> My granddad was an accountant before he became a minister, so, you know. Well, look, looking at your, um, looking at across the films, and, and we should mention there's a fourth one which you, you plan to release at a later time. And yeah. Promise. Promises? Promise? Promise. Promise. Give us, give us the synopsis for that, because I think we should, we'll go talk about that now specifically. Uh, Promise is about... Um, God, I don't have to remember what the film's about. Um, Promise is about a, a couple who are struggling to have a, a child, and um, they take in an illegal immigrant. Mm. Um, and they, she, she, they sort of basically effectively blackmail her to be a surrogate in order to stay in the country. Yeah, it's a brutal story, that one. Yeah. Um, now, that, it, what, what I flagged up when I was looking, looking for what we might talk about even though we've quite happily just talked generally at the moment. Specifically, I was looking at the sort of people that, that reoccur as collaborators with you making movies. And this is the first time you've not worked with uh, with Jamie Russell, and so you, you're writing um, Promise with Hannah Lee. Mm -hmm. How was, how, at what point did you join the project? Where was where was Hannah with the script at the point you joined? And how does work, how does collaborating with Hannah as a director differ from, from Jamie for you? Well, in that situation, I was like, so Jamie and I have written stuff together, mm. and then a couple of the short, like we wrote Bricks together, and then Ghosted and Locking, he wrote um, Solo, and mm. I was directed, and mm -hmm. I was involved in developing them, yeah. but they're his scripts. And then Hannah had entered a competition, which I'm a judge on, called The Pitch, okay. which um, people record like a two-minute video, which gets then voted on by the public, and the ten finalists go to Pinewood and meet a panel. And the panel asks some questions, and the three—that's whittled down to three—and those three people come back the next day for further conversations, and the winner gets um, thirty thousand pounds to make the film. Wowzer! And this, but the stories are based on Bible stories, so it's like different takes on Bible stories. And Hannah was um, in the final three, but didn't win the top prize. Mm -hmm. Um, but then went off and wrote the script anyway. So she did her pitch, and I really liked her pitch in the room. And she went and wrote the script anyway, and sent it to Luke, who's running the competition, and mm. showed it to me, and I really liked it. And um, said if she was looking for someone to direct it, then I would be interested in directing it. And mm. I would chat with her, sort of um, chatted through it a little bit, did a couple more drafts. Um, the pitch competition put some put some money into it and raised some money elsewhere from mm. private finance and um, including Stefan Alish Taylor who's put money into each of my shorts. Mm. Um, and uh, I just think she, it's the first thing Hannah had written. I thought she's extremely don't talented. say that. I know, it's sickening, isn't it? But she's an actress, <laughs> and I think that really helps. No. You know, congratulations, Hannah. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be, yeah. That wasn't necessarily mean. I mean, it is really good in every sense. But she'd read a lot of, I mean, obviously she's read a lot of work yeah. as an actress, and she's very bright, I mean, yeah. brighter than me. She's a first, I think, from Cambridge in literature. Okay. Um, she's so brighter than both of us compared yeah, to. The, uh, the, the, so the key to key is work with people who are a lot cleverer than you. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting um, that message. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, she, I think she just had a knack, and she understood character. I mm. think, and that probably comes from, partly comes from being a mm. There's, 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 um, the, from, from a kind of film, Point of view. Then the opening part of the movie is 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 the first. Not surprised the first bit that catches your eye. You you show us an empty cot, and then you go really tight on this couple, and we're looking at them. and And I made a note in my pad when I was when I was watching it. I just I just thought you've given I mean, without us knowing anything about them, just from that choice of shot, you've given us the accusing eye of this couple. We know nothing about them. Mm. 
But we're already looking at them going, you're not good ones. Now, how, I mean, I might be oversimplifying it, I don't know, but is how is that on the page and how are you, how is film tricking us like that? How do you think that it, because it is evident and it pans out the way the film goes and when we get the truth and everything that was that 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 my first that was the first thing I wrote and I was like I was I was really pleasantly surprised to find maybe it means you just don't like people Stuart right? exactly, I'm, just not, <laughs> I'm just a cynic yeah I, I mean I think that is something that we worked on was to try and give a, a sense of mood and atmosphere and mm. whether you take that initial moment as like there's something not right here mm. or whether it's sorrow or not there's definitely something awry and I think that was uh, that was yeah, I didn't go for the so I didn't go for the obvious, which was like miss they've lost a child or something like that. It's like I was like, they're wrongings. But also that's about having good actors as well, I think. Yeah. Like the sense that there's something dislocated there and there's something not quite right. Because you're playing with timelines there as well, aren't you? Yeah. You're not you're not giving us a, a straight narrative, are you? Yeah, that's a well Trying to answer that in a way that doesn't give away the film. <laughs> well, no, but, but, but it doesn't. I mean, you're playing with you're just playing with with, with non-linear narrative, aren't yeah. you? You're you're allowing us to see things as you want to tell the. Quentin Tarantino says it's not non-linear. It's like I want to tell you the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's only your screenwriters that go. Oh, no, it's not. It's this kind of thing. It's like no, that's how I want to tell the story. And well, I've done that before in something else I wrote years ago, and I watched that again recently. and was like, oh, it doesn't. I'm not actually sure it makes sense. And I wrote mm. it. I'm not sure what's going on. So it can be a tricky thing to but do. But you talk about the actor's performance there, though. So when you when you when you're talking to them, going right, we're going to. Sh this is this is the beginning of the script, but actually where we are in the story is here. So I want you to be here, mm -hmm. which is you know more about the end of the. The, the story than it is about the beginning, but we want you to be there. What's the conversation like then with the actors? What are they saying to you? What are you asking of them? I think Rebecca and Nabil, like they're such pros that they did so, they did a lot of work together, like even before they came to set. Like mm. Hannah had written backstories for each of the characters, which okay. they had then read, and I think Hannah, I think Rebecca and Nabs had met um, for a prep day to mm. work stuff through. Um, so it's not that I didn't have anything to do, but like. You know, I think I don't know who said that like ninety percent of directing is casting. I think it might have been John Huston. Right. And there's a lot to be said. There is a lot to be said for that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Performance. Performance does matter, doesn't it? Really. End of the day. Absolutely. It's, it's <laughs> the most important thing. I thought. I mean, think of uh, Hannah's Hannah's script. The 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 moment where she um, she catches the uh, surrogate mother in the baby's bedroom and she's rooting through drawers or something right. like that. She defends herself saying, look, it's my, it's my baby's room. And then the, 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 the sort of real mother, as it were, says, it's not your baby. She doesn't even, it's not even, like the room of the house is like, what's in you isn't yours. And I thought, for, for just two little lines there, we got so much of the, the relationship that wasn't yeah. between two people. Because, you know, the next scene or the scene before was, was the husband sort of going, I'm doting on my baby in the belly. <laughs> And clearly, mum's not having the same experience of the joys of. Yeah, and I think that's again tribute to a tribute to the writing, and also tribute mm. to Rebecca's force of feeling and what mm. she brings to that. Mm. Like she did a loads of great work on that, in terms of the stuff. You know, mm. it was a nightmare trying to choose the right take, or because there was lots of different choices. Oh, really? Well, they were really effective. You know, and it's calibrating like how, how much anger do you want to show? How much sorrow? Yeah. Where is this coming from? And it's just complicated. It's a mixture. And the other thing that, that I thought was really good because a lot, like going back to that point about the, the, the tight shot at the beginning where we the accusing eyes, because a lot of it's in the house, it's a very claustrophobic stroke intimate film because it's about those 
kind of human feelings and human fears and frustrations and that. But you also take us outside mm -hmm. to let us have a look at what is ordinary British suburbia, almost like to have a breath. Mm -hmm. But it, but it is a, it's it, it it's quite stark and it, and it helps to keep keep us in a world. Um, and I just wondered how much was that was on the page and how much was that just your your lucky day you got the blue skies and stuff. The idea of having, I think the initial, I, th I think I'm right saying the initial draft was almost exclusively within the house. Okay. And then we looked to exp um, take it outside a little bit and give more of a sense of time passing and give more of a sense mm. of, uh, of the society they were in and where yeah. we are now. And also I think, you know, it, when it's not it's not a horror movie, it's kind of, well, there's, you could argue it's a domestic horror movie. It's, it's emotional violence, violence yeah. I think, I think the phrase, I make mean, my use for lock. Yeah. So I think it applies in this instance, it's that... I think it's that kind of mood, and I yeah, and I think that's something that you face all the time. Yeah, you know, and that it's a thing you have to remember about people you meet is a mm. lot of people are not that everyone's planning dastardly shit, but like that people are going through an awful lot of stuff in what's seemingly like a very normal. That's setting, what that's what I know. loved about you know, behind like people walk past this house now, don't know what's going on inside, but they see a British street of terraced houses. Yeah, that's what they see, and everyone assumes everything's all right, everything's normal. And I really in I really like everyday horrors mm. really or like getting mm. aware of what there is um, now I rewatched um, rewatching Brick in the current political climate is really really interesting as an experience because when I first watched it we weren't Brexit mm. we didn't have a bunch of lunatics needlessly ruining the country <laughs> and there you've got I mean in, in a way you'll find that the finale to that movie it's, it's almost what's felt to me like a bloody metaphor for, for where we are now. I mean, I know it couldn't have been made with that in mind, but the whole, you know, the um, that's why we have revolutions, to which he's reminded that we don't have them here. And I'm like, no, we don't do it. We well, never have. Country, we don't. Yeah. It's such a great line. And then the metaphor with the brick about, well, if, if the brick at the bottom wants to be at the top, where are we going to be? Yeah. Well, I think it's funny, like, you're right, that movie has become more depressingly relevant mm. but I think when we first when we made it we shot it in 2015 we sort of finished it that year and it's mm. like did the sort of festival circuit and now it's been a question mm. of when do you put it out yeah I thought well, I'd quite like to put it out just before an election and then Theresa May balls that up by calling an election too early for yeah, a selfish yeah. other yeah but yeah there's something about ruling class and class is obviously something that we're fascinated in by in this country yeah um, and I think we're seeing yeah, I mean, I, I hope that people will watch it and take something from it in that regard, as well as really enjoying it. You know, it's kind of a... No, it's a lovely re reworking of, of, of Edgar Allan Poe. The, was it the cat in it? The, the cask of... I can't ever pronounce it. It's a cat, isn't it? There's, there's behind the, is it a cat behind the wall? Or is it a, no, it's, it's a... Oh, I'm thinking of another story, another Edgar Allan Poe one then. Well, you have to you better read than me. No, no, no just, <laughs> just more pop culture. Um, but it, but again, and that tip, you, 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 you sign, it almost signs off with the... Uh, where the, 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 the kind of oi polloi Jason Fleming character says, yeah, come on, mate. And he doesn't go, he doesn't, he isn't like, no, I'm not going to help you. He corrects him and just turns around and says, come on, sir. And you're like, wow, that is... Blake is, I mean, yeah. I think I can say this because, well, it's all him. He, yeah. But he's phenomenally good in that, I think. He's a terrific actor. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I was well, while the ruse was going on, for him not to ridicule him for the pronunciation of Rioja doesn't make sense at first. But like you kind of go, so the good nature humour is all just the, the whole thing is a ruse. The guy, revealing everything's a ruse about the conversation is really quite terrifying because obviously 
what so happens to Jason is... Someone told me that they didn't believe that someone could mispronounce Rioja and believe it was pronounced a different way, but I, I didn't know it was pronounced like that. It reminded me, when I was, a, when I was a sort of entering the, 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 you know, the, the, the trainee accountancy world and I'm going to a sandwich shop in Manchester and I, I asked for an e-mental cheese sandwich. <laughs> I'd never seen the word written down in my life. Yeah. Didn't know what it was. <laughs> Obviously, much hilarity around <laughs> while they laughed at me. But then I learned it was it and tell, but you know, I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And I think we all go through that. In fact, I've just been having a social media conversation about why Kansas and Arkansas are pronounced so differently. Because Arkansas. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. That's, see, that's what stops me writing. Or <laughs> <laughs> going on Twitter. Well, <laughs> just thinking that thought and then go, I'll ask some people. Yeah, let me find out. That's much more important than doing these pages. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then got, got looking, in fact, no. Let's let's talk about ghost. Let's talk about um, ghost because it is the um, there must have been a temptation in in the, in the development of it with someone like Alice Lowe, who's a very funny comedic comedic actor, as well as able to be very serious as well, to go really for the laughs. Whereas mm. I think one of the great things about it is you 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 let us in in our mood, which is light, but it ain't it ain't ever lampooned at all. Mm. Yeah, it's meant to be like if you get laughter out of it. I mean, hopefully you get. Some no, you do. No, I'm not. That it's isn't. It's like. Yeah, it's the great thing about it is it's just not funny. I was, I was, really, I was, I was nearly there. Wasn't I? Nearly going. You're going on, Stuart. Say it's not funny. Then, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think with that, that was a kind of change of pace from Bricks, and was not intended to be the next film. The next film was going to be Locking, and we were developing that, and then for okay. one reason or another. That got pushed back, I think, mm. because of actor availability. And Jamie had written Ghosted, which really loved the idea of. And I'd got to know Alice. I actually remember how through a mutual friend and and or Twitter mm. we'd gone for a cuppa, and then a little while later Jamie sent me ghosted, and I think and I thought this is great. I wonder if Alice would do it. Because she's so, fantastic. Yeah. She really just carries the film. Yeah, but I mean, also it's like <laughs> she's um, she was pregnant at the time, and she said like you know I'm, I can do it, but I can only do it in a couple of weekends' time. So I phoned Savannah, who's produced Bricks, and said I need mm. to make a film in a couple of weekends. So it all came together. But, you know, in the meantime, from when we shot that, because it took quite a long time to finish it off in post, hmm. Alice went off, wrote a film, shot a feature film, Did prevent, yeah. had a baby, released the thing. Yeah. You know, you can. it's either really like depressing or really inspiring. I've yet to decide which. I'm going to go glass half full then. <laughs> yeah. I'm going glass half full. Oh, she's remarkable. And, and, and it, you, you, you use... You use the kind of ghost motif of the, 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 the thing that she can see that no one else can see. Mm -hmm. So those moments where the ghost is right in the face, so it's her dead husband, is mm -hmm. in the face of the prospective men that she's dating. How, how what was it, was there many takes of the, because an actor trying to act while someone is inches from their face and got to act like everything, like there's nothing there for the benefit of us seeing it from Alice Lowe's character's eyes. Was that, was that difficult to, to get the right takes on it? You know what, that was, I don't think that was anything I ever had to worry about. Really? Yeah, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe it's bad directing. But, like, no, they were just, they're great. They didn't, I mean, I'm sure that it was a challenge for them. Yeah. But, it, you know, again, great cast. Christian was fantastic. Um, and then able to call on lots of different people. Like, Jason Fleming came in for, to play one of the mm. dates. It's nice to be able to call on people I've met, like Jason, he's great. Mm. And, uh, or Ray Panthaki came in, and, like, Obviously, there's bits and pieces you have to do, but the notion of them being—I guess—I mean, actors are used to having to pretend that things are there or not there, mm. you know. 
Um, so it wasn't really an issue. But I mean, I can't remember the name, the actor's name, the guy who's sort of given her the psychology lesson. Richard Glover. Yeah. So he's got, it was hitting the most difficult performance in terms of what the ghost is doing. Because the ghost is basically doing what we do. It's like, what the hell are you doing? You yeah. know, what are you looking at? What are you talking about? But he's right under, and, and I'm watching it, and I've watched it a couple of times, and I cannot see his eyeballs sort of even just so much as glance. So he's astonishingly good. And I mm. don't actually think, oh, I tell myself short, he's astonishingly because I made him. <laughs> I don't think I had to do any direction. Yeah. I just sort of sat there. Um, and he's incredibly subtle, incredibly skilled. Mm. Now, um, in, that one you chose to do monochrome, black and white. Yeah. Was that was that to do with just budget or to do was what was this what was the choice there stylistically speaking? It was two reasons. And on. one of them was budget. Yeah, one okay. of them was literally like we don't have a lot of money to do this, it'll come together last minute, we'll, mm -hmm. we put it. Um Yeah, we sort of scrambled to get it together. Mm. Um and everything looks better in black and white. True. You know, everything looks better in black and white. If we'd had if we'd had to try and come up with a colour scheme for it, it would have put our costume budget through the roof. Mm. And we didn't have a costume budget. A costume budget was like, you know, here's a tenner. Yeah. And um also I like the mood of it. Uh, you know, I that kind of it just classic romance that mm. you know, it brings out. Um and also it probably part of it selfishly was I thought I'm unlikely to ever get to make a film in black and white. Let's see what that's like. Because mm. I think one of the things, if you're going to do short films, if you're not going to do them that are, are direct like pilots for a feature film, yeah. I mean, let's do a segment of this film, then why are you doing them? You're doing mm. them to learn. Yeah. And so that's why I try and do stuff with different genres, try and do stuff with lots of different actors, mm. different, some, some different crew, and just see, like, okay, what's this like? How does mm. this feel? What does it mean emotionally? Mm. Like, in short films, if you've got the opportunity to do it then you've got the opportunity to play a little bit in a way that it's less of a commitment than obviously that feature which can end up being a two-year commitment mm. so I thought well let's just give it a shot see how it works out it's amazing what difference it does make I think that film is a lot better for being black and white did you shoot in black and white Are you shoot in colour and post-produce black and white shot in colour I mean shot for black and white but the stock you know it was on digital and okay so the conversation with you and your cinematographer is about this we black and white yeah, so we always we light it this way beforehand and lit, lit with that in mind how does your eye do that <laughs> How does an I see in colour and know it's going to be black and white? Well, that's that's Fleming is a DP. <laughs> I just let him deal with it. I'm like, I look at the, the monitors in black and white, you know. So oh, okay, I, okay, like, okay, you know. Got you. Um, I, I, what, one of the things I really like about all four of your films is that you you're um, you're playing with like mini three act structures. You're not you're not doing any other kind of atypical short film sort of setup and gag. Even when it's even when it's not comedy, there's still a sense of I'm giving you something and there's the payoff. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're not, you're really investing in the story and, and the people that are in it, even when it's ten, even when it's only ten minutes. Well, one of the things I used to find as a journalist was people would write to me when I was editing and send in sample articles because mm -hmm. they wanted to write for the magazine. Okay. And if they wrote like a thousand word piece, it's like I don't want a thousand word piece, I want hundred and twenty words. Because if you can tell me a good, do a good review in hundred and twenty words, okay, you can probably do a good review longer. You know, and I feel like with the aim with the shorts is to show that I can make a feature film, so hopefully it should have some kind of structure and some kind of story. Not that all shorts have to be like that, but I've watched a lot of shorts mm. from judging different competitions and things. And I think shorts, they're often ones that are great jokes and they're often great poems, you know. Mm. Um, but trying to find something that has actually works as an effective story mm. 
in that length of time is an interesting challenge. Yeah. Um, that's the thing that excites me, I guess. That's the thing I'm interested in. Is I mean, Promise has got a hell of a lot of twists and turns going on for what is, what, 15 minutes? Good, I'm you, glad. <laughs> you know, but it, but it is, I, I, won't, I won't dare spoil it, but, but for, the, for, the, for those who, who get a chance to see it, you'll, you'll, you, get what, you start off in one place and we don't end there. We don't end where you think we're going to end. Mm -hmm. And we go through a journey with three characters. And, and again, that playing off three characters, we obviously know in a way that the, the woman who says she can't get pregnant is the central character mm -hmm. everything um, orbits. But, but everyone gets time to be their own story arc, for better or for worse, I suppose. Well, that's good because I mean, it's nice to hear you say that because it's one of the things we worked on was trying to make sure that everyone had something to do, mm. like that you would go through and go, okay, there has been some element of change. Mm. That. Not, I mean, not that every character has to change in order to for it to mm. be successful, but I mean, sometimes it can be illuminating that they don't change. That they oh yeah, it, to it, their, but but the fact that you feel that all three people have that warrant their place in the story. Mm. It's yeah, in the time continuum, I don't mean that suddenly one of them's a better person. Yeah. It's like the experience of what we've watched, which is all we can judge it on, mm. is is that yeah, that's that's a that's a solid that's a solid outcome and, and understandable in the circumstances, even though we know a lot more than maybe everybody else. Yeah. Everybody on the film knows everything about each other, and and I think that's another good thing. Another thing that runs through your stuff is that you use secrets and the truth as a as a device to, to as a dramatic device so it's like we go into something where people are on a level or somebody's in charge and the person whoever's in charge at the start of the story i think it, i think i've said apart from maybe ghosted everyone that seems to be in charge at the start of a story never ends in charge that's a good point actually a friend of mine said you know be careful that your short films don't all have just end up having twists mm. and i think it's a valid point but at the same time it's quite satisfying Mm. And secrets are interesting, but they're not. Yeah. But I don't think they're twists. I just think it's just, it's, it's the, the, the truth is always there. Mm. It's just that what what's going on mm. is the point. I mean, with with um, with the way you use the uh, the newspaper article in in Lockin, mm. it's a fairly innocuous piece of action of of a landlord putting a framed picture up on a wall of a pool. Mm. It's it's like any introduction. The camera pans round. There's a middle aged man putting a picture on a wall. That doesn't tell us anything at that point. But by the end of the film, there's so much meaning in that opening that only getting to the end, will, you'll, you'll know that. I think that stuff's really interesting in life. I mean, chances are you've met somebody who's done something illegal, to yeah. say the least. You, yeah, know, yeah. What, you know, I don't know what the stats work out in terms of who we've met who might have murdered somebody. But, like, you know... What, you don't tell him enough? Do yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's an abrupt end yeah. to the podcast. Yeah. Um, the last like, podcast ever recorded. People do terrible things, and and ostensibly good people do terrible things so mm. I think that's interesting like the notion of how I think probably something that is in certainly in Lockin and it's in a couple of the feature scripts that one that I've co-written one I've written is the idea of you judge a person as one thing and they reveal themselves to be something else and that can be good or that mm. can be bad I'm interested in why we judge people and how often we get that wrong um, because I've done it myself yeah, no, no. Because if you can, if you can tap into what essentially is a human frailty and a human flaw, then it can only lead to good drama. I hope so. So reminders then: when, 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 and how is Ghosted Lock-in and Bricks? Uh, yeah, so they'll Bricks Ghosted and Lock-in will be out on Vimeo on uh, February fifth. Um, I will give you links to go in the notes, but also you'll be able to access them at nevpierce.com. 
and they'll also appear on Tall Tales, which is a YouTube channel, um, Dates TBC. Now we're recording this early December. What 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 festival dates have you got lined up for Promise then, or is, or is that not is that still are those future dates not determined yet? Not determined yet. I mean, okay. I've just played the Foil Film Festival, um, and we're going to have a screening in London probably in January. So okay, watch your Twitter feed. Yeah, exactly. Thanks very much, Nev. Pleasure. Britflix.com podcast is provided totally free without any outside advertising. So if you enjoyed it, please make sure to subscribe at iTunes and write me a review. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.